Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're gonna be sitting down with the team from One Love Foundation, a rescue with a mission to change the lives of Aruba's street animals by raising awareness, educating people, and garnering the donations needed to assist local rescues in providing care to dogs and cats in need. Built on the desire to be the change they wish to see in the world, this organization is dedicated to making tomorrow a better day for animals. That's why we were so happy to have the team on to talk about why they chose Aruba, the realities these animals face every day, and the stories that have inspired them along the way. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hi there, One Love team. I feel like we have like a whole conference room full here. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Before we get into everything, why don't we all introduce ourselves? People know me in Sydney and they're bored of us already. So we'll jump to you. Ellen and Rob, do you want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Ellen Siriani. I am the founder and president of One Love Foundation. And I'm Robert Siriani, the treasurer. Beautiful. Berkeley, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I'm Berkeley, and I'm the vice president and secretary of the foundation. Amazing. And Cassie. Hi, I'm Cassie Murvey, and I am the social media manager for One Love Foundation. I feel like we have everyone here. Is there anyone else we need to shout out from your team? That <laughs> All the volunteers? This is it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, so we always like to roll back the clock because I think so many people who love animals, love rescue, but there are very few people who are willing to take the leap and actually start their own organization. So can you tell us, how did One Love get started? One Love got started because of the strays in Aruba. I hated seeing them out there without a home, in the heat, hungry and thirsty. And it also started because of what my son said to me one day in Aruba when I mentioned that seeing the strays bothered me. He had turned to me and said, then do something about it. So those words stayed with me. I kept thinking about them and it led me to get involved and start helping. In 2020, I went on a mission trip and I met the people at the rescues. And I also met Berkeley, who was on the trip as well. She felt the same way about the animals and wanting to help the rescues like me. Together, we even started brainstorming ideas while we were there. We had left just as COVID hit, but we kept in touch during that time. And I asked her if she wanted to start a foundation with me. And here we are two years later. Um, One Love Foundation is a team of the Ford members, us four that are here. But we've also added two junior board members, Milan and Savannah. Amazing. Sounds like quite a vacation that you took. I mean, it's not a vacation. It was a mission. (laughs) But to think you could have gone anywhere else and you ended up exactly where you were supposed to be so that all of this could come to fruition. That's amazing. Sounds like out of the mouth of babes, right, Ellen? Your son was (laughs) basically just pushing you to get into the work. He's like, stop talking about it and just start doing it. Yeah, he said, hold on his mind. Uh, yes, I did. I always grew up with cats and I was always an animal lover. 
We have a whole zoo here right now. Yeah. <laughs> and my philosophy is what's one more. So, you know, we keep growing. <laughs> a good philosophy to have. Rob, how do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, well, it's overwhelming at times. <laughs> you, know, you know, come on. I just walked in the door and two dogs come at me. And now I have one cat on me and I don't know where the other three cats are. Right? Yep. <laughs> He'll be out soon. <laughs> Berkeley, um, what about you? Were you always an animal lover? Yes, I've always been an animal lover and I've done a lot of volunteer work. I live in Chicago, so I do a lot of volunteer work at the rescues here and I actually went to Aruba on a wedding the first time I went and um, I was the one that was sitting in the streets at night, like playing with all the stray dogs. Then I went on the mission trip. I found out about that and it was just so eye opening and it was just hard to um, walk away from there and, and not think about it and not think about what you could do more. Cause we, we went kind of where the tourists don't see all the time. The beaches look beautiful and, and everything. And people say, why Aruba? But when you get back into the areas where all the strays are, it's just, it's really heartbreaking. And I just left there after talking with Ellen and, and knew that I could do more and that we could do more and we had to do more. Amazing. And then Cassie, how did you get involved? Um, well, I've known Berkeley for years. So I know on all of her exciting adventures that she's been on and I had seen what she went through in Aruba and I'm involved in rescue here in Southern California with Meow's Rescue. It's a cat rescue. And so the following year in 2021, when they were doing their second mission trip, I asked if I could join and I did. And it's addicting once you get there. It's, it's heartbreaking to see that the island is so small. There's 110,000 people and maybe 35,000 strays wandering a very small island. And it just makes you realize that education is key. And we do get a, a lot of questions about why Aruba. And if you look at it, because it is an island, there's no place for these animals to go. And once they hit a certain weight, they can't be flown off the island unless it's a cargo plane. When they're out of supplies, they're out everywhere. You can't just get on Amazon and order. So it's just, you know, like Berkeley said, it's not something you can forget. You can't get it off your mind. And so they asked me to join the team. And that was last year. We've made a huge impact. I'm proud of this team. We're, we're small, but we've grown leaps and bounds and we're definitely starting to make an impact. It's one thing I think to see all these animals. And I think anyone who's traveled a bit, you see a lot of stray animals and a lot of people feel called but what are the steps that it takes to actually start rescuing and start taking in animals and, and facilitating that? Like, where do you begin? <laughs> exactly. A lot of mistakes were made. We learned a lot along the way. Yeah, we did know that we didn't, we didn't want to be like a rescue, like taking in animals necessarily. We thought we could help in a different way. Some of us have business backgrounds and we really want to just help the rescues at first and bring them supplies, get donations to help. You know, they have huge vet bills. And so we just thought they didn't have a lot of presence in the U.S. maybe. And since we were here, we could get a lot more presence here in the U.S. and get more donations. And so we started off just kind of helping the different rescues. We picked three different rescues 
we can't help everybody because we were so small. So we picked um, three rescues, three of the main rescues there that we wanted to work with. And um, just started by bringing supplies, doing mission trips two or three times a year, bringing down supplies and helping them with their vet bills. But like Cassie said, we did make a lot of mistakes the first year because being a new foundation, everybody was asking for help. Can you take in this dog? Or here's five puppies that were dumb. So everybody was reaching out to us and kind of got off track of what our mission was to really just help with spaying and neutering and the rescues. And so we started taking in puppies and, and dogs and other things. So I think we learned quickly that we really needed to pick one or two things that we were really going to see what was going to make the biggest impact. And we were going to stick to those and also run this more, a little bit more like a business so that we weren't spending our own money and taking on all these other things that we just didn't have the capability to do. So I think now we've narrowed it down to we really think spaying and neutering and education are the two key things that really are going to make an impact there. So we're really focusing now on raising funds for uh, spay and neuter. You know, I'm willing to bet that those are the mistakes every single rescuer makes when they first get started because you don't want to say no, right? It breaks your heart to say no, but really finding your lane is so important. And then additionally, the number of times I've heard a rescuer say they maxed out their personal credit oh my card. Gosh, so many times. <laughs> it's literally almost every rescuer. So know that you're in good company. And I think that's a great call out though. If you've done that, don't be ashamed of it. It shows your heart and passion and commitment, but also that's probably not good business practice. <laughs> I love the honesty of it all too, because I think when a lot of people go into rescue or they're thinking about going into rescue, they see all these organizations who, you know, kind of have a white picket fence right in front of their house and they seem to do everything correctly. And it becomes really intimidating when the truth is that it's, it's trial and error. There's no class that teaches you how to do rescue or how to do it the right way. It's something that you learn as you go along. So I, I, I love the honesty in that. I, I think it is really, really grounding and it's really important for people to hear that. It's really easy to get over your head. We found out how easy it is to get in over your head. And um, we had to start bringing Rob actually on the trips to keep our budget. Yeah. So, <laughs> keep you guys in check. This you know, one, that one. This well, it's hard one. too when all the rescues will fall and, you know, then there's all these animals. So it, you know, we didn't want to say no, you know, so we would take them on and, but it, it was a lot at times and we're learning as we go. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to talk about because we actually survived the struggle. But I think the piece that's a little bit different with rescuing the animals in Aruba is at one point we had rescued five adult dogs. And like I had mentioned earlier, once dogs are over like 22 pounds, they can't be flown off the island and there's nowhere for these dogs to go. So we took in these dogs, we spayed and neutered them, we got their medical, their vaccines. And then, and then what? Well, we hadn't thought that far ahead. So we were boarding them at the dog hotel indefinitely. Why is that? Why, why don't they let you fly if they're over 22 pounds? Because they can only go in the cabin. So puppies can go in the cabin. Um, adult dogs pre-COVID uh, the airlines would fly adult dogs, but after COVID hit, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but American Airlines, I think is the only one, but it's a thousand plus dollars per dog. So it's a big endeavor to take on arranging a cargo flight 
to get these dogs to the States, to adopters. And we did just do one of those with the rescues. The last week in June, we flew 28 dogs off the island and got them into homes. They had adopters waiting. There's many tourists there who fall in love with these stray dogs, and then they just can't get them off the island. It's just a huge endeavor. And that's a huge lesson we learned is that we've got to have a plan. We've got to know where they're going to go once we rescue them. And It's so sad too. Whenever I go on vacation, I feel like I'm always seeing the larger dogs too. It's never loads of puppies. It's always dogs that are going to be bigger than 20 pounds. So that, that's so sad that that can be the majority of what's stuck on the island. And it's great that people say that they want to help an animal, but I don't think they realize all that's involved. You know, the animal has to go to the vet. Then where does it go after the vet? And, you know, then getting it to wherever, it's just, it's a lot. You know, it's not as easy as it may look or sound. I mean, I wish it was. I wish it was easy for all these big dogs to get off. There's a whole customs you have to, you know, not only the health certificate, you know, they have to have all the documentation and then all the customs paperwork, which, as Berkeley knows, takes hours and hours and hours. And then you just, once they land in the States, you have to get them through customs and you just pray to God that they have (laughs) all the documents required. And then they have to have a place to go once they come to the States. Everything's got to be lined up. Can you maybe give us a little bit more context when it comes to Aruba and how the people who live there are with animals specifically? I mean, you have to assume probably majority of people there, and this might show just my naivete or whatever, but is it just primarily tourists there? Can you maybe kind of shine a light on what makes up Aruba? Aruba is, um, I think, has its highs and lows. You know, it, it has a you know low-income area, and it has you know other areas. And in driving around, uh, you know, uh, we also walked and did walking spay and neuter campaign around a few neighborhoods. And um, there were a lot of lower-income people who just couldn't afford the spay and neuter program. That's how we actually got out in the street. And you know, there, there's beaches and um i think there's you know there's i'm sure there's neighborhoods we never even got to and neighborhoods we just don't know about but in getting acquainted with these rescues they educate us on the people the surroundings and the culture of the owners and that's what they're trying to implement now is educating their owners on spay and neuter because the culture in my opinion it's not the same as the united states even in different parts of the United States, pets aren't necessarily considered part of your family. I'm going to say everyone on this call probably thinks that. <laughs> they just, it's just an animal, you know, and they'll even see like animals walking around that are like, have been hit by a car or that need help that are, you know, full of ticks and whatever. And people can just walk by that and that they don't even do anything. You know, it's it kind of, it's shocking to us because. I don't think we'd ever do that, maybe, in the U.S. If you see an injured dog or something, somebody would try to help. But it's very much just, it's just an animal. And there's so many strays, like, who cares if they die? And they also do a lot of dumping of puppies. We went to rescue some puppies, but it's very common to just take a box and they actually tape it shut even. And they'll just dump it in a remote area. And it's so hot there. I mean, it's just desert when you get away from the tourist area. So. They'll just, I mean, that's a very common, they find them every day, like taped in boxes. And um, 
so very inhumane way of getting rid of puppies. The team went out, I think it was St. Patrick's Day this past year. And didn't you bring like nine puppies back in the van? Yes. We went out to get one litter of puppies and found three boxes. Oh my God. Two boxes had puppies that had chewed their way out of the boxes and the third box had dead puppies in it. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Oh my gosh. But I think a lot of it is too. It's just they, not even the strays, it's just going back to the animals being part of the family. They just let their animals roam. Even when they're owned, they just let them roam. And, you know, they can't always afford to get them spayed and neutered. So that's where the puppies come from. And they have puppies and they're all cute and sweet until they're weaned from their mom. And then they become a liability because now they need to be fed. You know, sometimes they can't afford to feed their own family. There just has to be a better way. I don't know how you could just dump a box of puppies, but it's gotten so much worse since COVID because tourism is the lifeline of the island. And with that whole island shut down, there's no government support, no help whatsoever. So the strays just multiplied during that year the island was shut down. So it's gotten out of control. Wow. So tell me the rescues that you work with over there, are they often like adopting out to families or what's their typical process for caring for animals? Is it more just like really focusing on spay and neuter and trying to mitigate the problem from getting um, overwhelming? We work with basically three or four main ones. Luna Foundation, they have a big sanctuary. So they take in, I think they have around 70 dogs right now. They tend to take in more of the adult, abused, uh, neglected dogs. And they do try to fly them out like maybe two or three times a year, like Cassie was saying, on one of those cargo flights. And if they take in puppies, of course, they try to get them off the island as quick as possible before they get too big. And most of them go to the East Coast. They have foster, a lot of a big foster and adoption population of people that want to adopt out there. And then we work with a cat rescue, a Nine Lives Foundation. They take in all the cats and they also have a big stray cat colony that they take care of. So they feed the, the stray cats in the colony like twice a day, every day. So they, cats are easier to get off, obviously. You can fly them out anytime in a bag. So that's, that's a little easier to get cats off the island. But there's a huge cat problem as well. And then we work with um, the trappers. And the trappers, they actually go out and trap uh, TNR. Basically, they do all the TNR um, trapping of the strays and getting them spayed and neutered and then releasing them back. And then there's another large Sergeant Peppers is a big rescue there that we help as well. And they have another big area and they fly a lot to the Netherlands. So the Netherlands, it's a little bit easier to get big dogs there. So they, they do a lot flying them to the, ne- the Netherlands. That's another option as well. But they also do, do spay and neuter as well. You know, they, they've all kind of come together now. They're working on a spay and neuter clinic. It'll be the first low cost or, or free spay and neuter clinic. They finally, all those rescues got together and are, they've realized that they have to work together and that that's, the only way they're going to change the situation. So that's supposed to open in October. And like Cassie said, there's no government assistance. The government doesn't pay for anything, doesn't have any sort of program and won't give them any money. So it's all going to be vets and vet techs that are going to volunteer their time to come over and do the spay and neuter clinics. But it's going to be a, a huge start anyway. Wow. It's so amazing that you're doing this work, especially in a location that it, by all means is not 
easy for you to get to. Clearly your heart was called to this location. I'm wondering if, are there specific animal stories that really like inspire you as you're doing all this work? There have to be some standouts that you're like, we did right by that animal. I know it's probably, there's probably more than one. Now the waterworks will probably start. Oh no. <laughs> Ellen, do you want to start with Nikki? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, Nikki's a tough one for me because Nikki was one that we found along with two others while we went in the neighborhood talking about spay and neuter and taking care of your animal. And um, she was one we found wandering on the street, wounds all over her. I thought she was like really old. I just started crying and, you know, we were all sitting down figuring out how we can help her and stuff. Long story short, we did get her to the vet. There were a lot of things wrong with her. It turned out she was only six and a half years old. So she stayed at the vet for a while and got better. And then we had her go to the dog hotel where she made friends and had a great time, even went swimming and everything. And she was going to be on the flight with the older dogs to come our way and be part of our family. And turned out that she got sick again and um, passed away Well, she never got to make it here. So it's been really hard because I'm still heartbroken. I'm so sorry. She had um, a tough life out there on the street, neglected, unloved. I just wanted her to come here and be part of a family. And uh, On her website, you, you have uh, some pictures of her. Or it's on Facebook, right? Yeah. It's on every it's, on it's on website and Facebook she, and stuff. She um, had some uh, open wounds as as if she was injured, possibly hit by a car, and she she was actually sleeping under a car when we found her. The and, second day, yeah. yeah we went and back and we um, went back and then she didn't have a collar on and we determined that she does not have an owner officially. Or they didn't care. <laughs> yeah. So we uh ended up bringing her to the vet, but Ellen became very attached to her, and uh, you could see how happy she was at the dog hotel. It's yeah, like her, her warm and loving personality came out. You could see by the photos that they took at the, at the dog hotel. But you know, as Ellen mentioned, things unfortunately got worse for her. But you know, at least we helped her for a while, and it was better yeah. than nothing. Because we don't know if her whole life was like that, but at least she would go up to people and be friendly because she was a real sweetheart. Yeah, everybody loved her. And um, all of us that were there that day, me and the two others, we were there the day that she passed away. We were all there. It always is so heartbreaking. I think it seems to me that she really left an imprint on you. Oh, big one. (laughs) Yeah. And all the animals who come after her, I think as hard as it is, it always inspires you. Like she lived that kind of a life for six years so that maybe you can be further passionate and inspired to save others so they don't have to spend six years like that or so they can have their chance for joy like she did for however long it was. Yeah. It doesn't turn anything around, unfortunately. And it's like everything feels so bittersweet in those moments. I know all of us have have lost a pet and 
some of them have gone through really hard situations before they met us and it could be devastating or it can be inspiring in, in some ways. The hardest one for me was our last trip. When we were rescuing those puppies, there were all the rescues communicate and there's they have a group chat when there's dumped puppies, dumped dogs or kittens. And there was this starving dog that was seen alongside the road. And the pictures were horrific. I mean, she could barely walk. The rescues went out a couple of times to find her, couldn't find her. And they finally, our last day there, they picked her up. They found her laying on the side of the road and they brought her to the vet and they determined she was probably four months old, but she was the size of an, her weight was the size of an eight week old because she was just starving. She had been hit by a car. So she had a whole hip fracture. So my daughter and I, who's one of the auxiliary board members, sponsored her. And just to see the transformation, Luna Foundation took her on, kept her at their house until she regained her strength and was able to walk. And if you could see her now, she's a beautiful Fila hound dog, and she's beautiful and sweet. And it amazes me to see and hear these stories of abuse and neglect and to see these dogs trust humans again. They forget very quickly, most of them. It really is so amazing. Yeah, I I am in continual awe. It's so inspiring, I think, even for like our lives, right? You see an animal that's so willing to love and forgive and it comes so effortlessly and it's oftentimes unconditional, although it certainly helps if you have like a spoon of peanut butter or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really is so amazing. And I'm sure you see so much of that. There's always like that mysterious background. You don't know where an animal came from or or what they've been through or how they've been treated. But then to watch them like come to life again, that has to be so amazing. Yeah, it certainly is. Because even even when we're driving around from place to place and, and everyone spots a dog and, oh, wait, does that dog belong to somebody? <laughs> we don't know. Oh, it looks healthy. looks well fed. Let's move on. Well, that's the hard part is because you don't know if they have an owner or not. They're just walking around. There's no, you know, a lot of them don't have collars. And even if they do, you don't know. Well, so Berkeley, do you have a story? Yeah, I think the first mission trip that we all went on, they had what they used to call the the kill cage there. Basically, it was a place where people could just dump their animals. And they, it was just kind of like they all ran around. So the puppies and the dog, everything was cats. They were all just in this cage, basically. And so, you know, they would kill each other and they'd be inhumanely euthanized they now have cleaned it up and there's people there that really try to get the dogs out they don't call it the kill cage anymore it's more of an open access shelter like we would call in the U.S. so they've really cleaned it up and they try to get the animals out but still there's only like four or five cages so when people drop off they can only keep them for so many days and if the rescues can't if they're full then they get put down so we actually got in to see this, um, they call it the CCC now. We got in there to see it. And I think all of us were pretty much walked out. We were in tears. It was just so sad to see these animals just in terrible shape. And they're sitting in this cages, like with a cement floor. And so we saw this one dog named Hope and we named her Hope. And she was just skin and bones and she looked so sad and she was still wagging her tail even though she was just looked like terrible in terrible shape. And 
we couldn't leave any of those dogs there because we knew if we left, they were going to get put down basically. So we took all the, we called the rescues and we pulled all the strings we could. And we ended up taking hope out of the, we carried her out and she ended up at Luna foundation. And she was like the sweetest dog like ever. Like she was so sweet. And we ended up taking the other, I think there was two or three other dogs that were there too. And we ended up taking everything that they had there basically that day. But just seeing the reality, I guess, of it all and seeing all, they're really all good dogs. I mean, most of them were such great dogs. I think they were all, it's called the Kunaku. I forgot to tell you that. I guess that's the island dog name is it's a Kunaku. And they were brought there from, I guess, the slave traders, the Dutch slave traders back in the day. They've adapted and they're just really a smart breed and they're very strong and I don't know, they're very resilient. And they're just really good family dogs with a lot of energy. It was supposed to be empty that day. We intentionally scheduled it on a day when it was supposed to be empty. And it wasn't. <laughs> That's so heartbreaking. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, And you said it's called the kill cage? Well, it used to be called. Uh, they really don't want to call it that anymore because they have cleaned it up. And they they have people working there now that really do care about the animals. And they try to network them. So it's called the CCC. I, I don't know the exact, I can't, it's in the Papiamento. So I can't really say it, but uh, they call it the CCC and they are trying to do a lot better job. As far as I can see, they, they're doing a better job. So it's more like an open access shelter now we try to say and not, not use the showcase. Just that name, just like the imagery, it gave me chills when you said it. Yeah, it used to be very bad, but now it's, uh, they're, the tourists caught on and it got out like what it was going on there. And then that things really started to turn around. Sid, do you want to go to Aruba? <laughs> We're going to leave with 25 dogs. You've got extra rooms in your house though. That's fine. I do. I, <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but that's, a, that's another thing that I think is very, very important for people to know when they go to not just Aruba, but these island destinations, you know, it's very difficult for them to get supplies it's expensive. So just bringing supplies, puppy formula, kitten formula, volunteering your time at the rescues. I mean, they love to have tourists come in and you can also sign up to be a flight volunteer where they will meet you at the airport with a puppy or a cat or a kitten. You fly it to your destination and the adopter or the family will meet you on the other end. It's so easy. And it's, it's the only way to get these animals off the island. But you don't want to give up that puppy to the person who's <laughs> supposed to get it at the airport. You become bonded with the animal during that flight. <laughs> well, Berkeley's got a good story about that when she traveled with a puppy. Oh, no, Berkeley. Did you end up with a puppy? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I happened to get upgraded to first class. And the puppy had uh, yeah, massive diarrhea problem. Oh. <laughs> so the whole entire plane, it like. It smelled so bad and had to keep apologizing to everybody. I was like, I'm so sorry, but I know I've had to sit by kids before too. So this is your payback. But you met that family at the airport. Oh yeah. I, I was um, a, being a flight volunteer and I had a puppy and I was standing in line for security. And this boy, this teenage boy just fell in love with this dog that I had. And they followed me like the whole way. Once I got through security, he wanted to see the dog again. And unfortunately I was going to Chicago with the dog to a rescue and he lived in Boston. 
so we kept in touch and stuff. He really wanted to get that dog. And the, the sister of the dog was in Boston. So I said, why don't, you know, I hooked him up with the rescue and I said, Hey, if you're interested, you know, the sister is in actually in Boston and, and is up for adoption. So they ended up doing that because it was easier because the dog was already there. And then just recently, the dog that I brought back, it was with a live rescue in Chicago and it, it was still there. I don't know. I don't know how it was still there that no one adopted it. But so just recently he drove to Chicago and picked up the dog that I had, you know, that I had. And so now they're reunited, the brother and sister, and they're both living in with this, this boy that I met at the airport. So it was like meant to be. Oh my gosh. That's so sweet. Wow. That, that really is amazing. A little family reunion. Although who knows the girl dog maybe is like, listen, I've been living as an only child and actually (laughs) amazing. Well, so tell us, I mean, I know the last couple of years have been impossible for many of us now that potentially maybe things are improving. I'm wondering what are your goals for the foundation? Are you looking to double down on, on education advocacy? Do you have a, a trip planned soon? So we started in 2022 is when we, January of this year is when we really started to laser focus and we decided our focus is going to be pretty much spay and neuter because that there's no way to get this overpopulation under control. So we had a mission trip in March and then we will be going again in December, but we're raising money for spay and neuter low-cost spay and neuter to get these animals sterilized. We feel that's the only way that we're going to make a true impact. And the the rescues on the island are working towards that same goal. So it's nice to see the coalition and see everybody come together for a common goal. Education is also key. The foundations on the, or the rescues on the island go to schools and they educate the younger generation because those they're really our future. So education is a huge component of it as well, because that's the only way we're going to end the cycle. Amazing. I mean, that sounds like just so important. And I can only imagine after going through that spay and neuter network, going through that, the whole progress, it's going to be so fulfilling to see the impact that you're making there. And I'm sure you've already made a big impact, but to watch it progress over the years, that sounds like an incredible thing to be able to do. Yeah. We're just trying to help and, you know, make a difference. Definitely. Well, so We have some sort of fun questions. First question, what's the naughtiest thing you've ever seen an animal do? I mean, really, they are like Berkeley was saying, the breed, the Kudaku breed are such great dogs. We had one on our freedom flight that Berkeley and I had in our van that was kind of a pain in the butt, but he had his reasons and he turned out to be great. (laughs) He just barked the whole way. Yeah, we drove from Miami to Boston with him and he barked the entire way he, he was not having the crate and even when we let him out of the crate he was still barking and we needed to try to get like a few minutes rest in the car and so we would lay down and he just barked bark bark until he crawled on Cassie's lap and he, this is like a 60 pound dog crawled on her lap and like snuggled with her in the front seat then he calmed down but he just went held I think that's almost impressive Barking that long, like you know, yeah. yeah. At a certain point, you're like, you have made a point. He was lucky he made it past North Carolina. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> We're thinking about letting him out. Of- <laughs> well, there we have London with Ellen. I know. Yeah, London. 
Is London a, a good London dog? Yeah. Does um, London do anything naughty? Uh, what do you do, London? That's what naughty. do you do that's naughty? What do you do? Hmm? Just the puppy dog guys. She, she dog. has problems putting on her harness and she lies down. You know, <laughs> yeah, like a baby, right? Yeah, she's yeah. such such a baby, this one. <laughs> oh, Berkeley, you might have the dog the naughtiest dog story. Jersey. Oh yeah. <laughs> Chicago. The Kunaku dogs, they're very athletic. So some of them can jump even like a probably a 12-foot fence. So we had this one dog we rescued and brought back to the States. And at the dog hotel, they have these huge fences. They're probably 12 feet tall. And he, Jersey would jump right over these fences several times. So when we brought him to the U.S., we told the fosters, even if you have a fence, you can't let him out in the yard because he'll, he'll jump any fence. So my friend was fostering him and she lived in a condo. It was like two stories and she was very careful with him, but she had a balcony and it was up, you know, two stories <laughs> and he was always out there and he was always fine. Like she had him for like months and he was fine. And one day she went in and she came back on the deck or whatever, and the dog was gone. It had jumped over the balcony two stories. And I think the cable lines and the, I think the cable line actually like kind of broke his fall. And she thought for sure she was going to look down and this dog's going to be dead or all four legs are going to be broken. And he was just running around in the, in the yard across the street or whatever, and was totally fine. So we adopted him out to a, a person that lived on the first floor, uh, you know, that had no two stories or anything like that. It was a miracle. Oh my God, that's a nightmare. You literally scared me by telling me that story. Yeah, it was a big fall. And that is a story. I think that's going to be hard to beat for anyone in the future. <laughs> so next question. I know you've talked about, a lot about, and I'm going to butcher this, but the Kunaku, right? Okay. okay. If there was one thing the Kunaku could express to people, what would they say? Love me. Play with me all the time. Yeah. Oh. I think they're very resilient, very strong. They just bounce back. Ugh, amazing. And they're lovable and cuddable. I mean, she loves to cuddle and follows me everywhere. Very loyal. A mama's girl. <laughs> She's so thrilled when somebody comes home. Oh, it's not the best. It's like the perfect dog. <laughs> I know. Well, so our last question is a little bit harder. In doing this work, we know it can be really fatiguing in a lot of the things that, that go on. Is there any quote or motto that you tell yourself to keep yourselves inspired? You can't save them all, but for the ones you can save, you make all the difference. So I think you have to kind of keep in mind that it's easy to think you want to try to save them all, but you can't save them all. But for those that you save, it really, really makes a difference. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Yes. I love that. Especially, you can only imagine, I mean, of all the tourists that go to Aruba, not everyone starts a foundation. <laughs> so I feel like you clearly have had a mission and a heart for this. And I'm sure all these animals are so much happier because of it. So... Thank you all for chatting with us. This has been great. I mean, really shone a light on everything going on. Thank you so much. Thank well, you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. 
It's so amazing and so rare to have a heart for a place that you've only been to a few times. And it's really so inspiring to see this team come together based on that mission. If you want to learn a little bit more about One Love Foundation, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. that's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks guys.